Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. Uh, this episode, episode 36, we're covering chapters 10 and 11 from part 2, Phoenix, of book 2, Adulthood Rites of the Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia Butler. My name's Richard Acton, and I'm joined as always by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hi everyone. Um, I just had this thought, Richard, that I'm oh, looking yes? forward to you doing the intros for the part three when you have to pronounce this ridiculous name. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it down. It's a Chtkachtak or Chtkachtak. Well, you're going to have to do it for yeah. every episode. So looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, this is the advantage of listening to the audiobook, right? Because you mm-hmm. get a received pronunciation for everything <laughs> in, the, uh, uh, in, in the weirdly spelled stuff. So you don't have to... Uh, <laughs> You know, try and figure out how it's supposed to be said. Someone else has already done the work. <laughs> Actually, I think in these two chapters, as one or the first one or the next one, um, mm-hmm. they actually no. In the second chapter, I think they, they mentioned uh, the name of the, the the ship. No, I think Akin thinks about the the ship and the, the name. Oh of yes, it. yeah. Hmm. It does get mentioned at the end of, of chapter eleven. Hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I so I think have to say it. I th- no I'm what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna cut your voice saying that name and just every single time when I'm supposed to say I'm just gonna paste over a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that might work. It'd be just funny. It's just like it's a, a bit more editing work, but uh, yeah, but know. still, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay then, um, should we uh, should we talk about your predictions for for chapter ten? Yeah, sure. So uh, my prediction for chapter ten was the story continues, the bargain from chapter nine. The bargain continues, but eventually Akin is sold to the village, and it is time to say goodbyes with the men. Mm-hmm. And um, okay. yeah, he didn't have much chance to say goodbyes with them. Yeah, not really. Uh, and uh, yeah, we won't be seeing any. Well. <laughs> We'll be seeing uh, several of them again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think the uh, the remaining, uh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've not quite gotten to that point. Yeah, yet, let's so, uh, let's maybe let's, start let's, then, so we get can... when we get there. Yeah, yeah let's, let's uh, get 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 into the summary. Yeah. So the chapter continues where the chapter nine finished. So with the bargaining mm-hmm. continuing well into the night. People eating, drinking, telling stories, you know, try, trying to out trade one another, you know, that it's like old style bargaining. You drink, you eat, and you talk uh, trading. And if it doesn't go well, you drink more until one <laughs> of is not capable of tra- um, diplomacy anymore and just like, yeah, yeah, sure, perfect. And then you just agree. Um, <laughs> Tate uh, was taking care of Akin, giving him some vegetarian meal, but. Detecting not enough protein, Akin slipped away to supplement his meal with some peas and seeds from the garden. And while he was doing all that, the pure hell broke loose in the building and the shooting started. Okay, so before we get to the like exciting shooting part, I had a minor diversion on the, like, he didn't get enough protein part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of fun that he was able to perceive that he didn't get enough protein, but this is actually, um, to some degree, this is not a uniquely like alien ability, um, at least... I mean, subconsciously, anyway, uh, to some degree. Um, there's some really interesting work in uh, looking at like protein uh, in food, protein content in food, and satiety. Mm-hmm. So you know, feeling full, uh, feeling satiated, um, and uh, there's some. Uh, I, I try to. Remember, I can't remember the name of the researcher who did who did this work. I, I saw him presented at a conference a little while back, um, 
and there's a lot of other um, studies on the subject, but this one was quite compelling because it was this really big mouse study that had a whole bunch of different conditions, and it basically showed quite well that um, you were kind of you're prone to overeating in like carbs and fat and all the rest of it until you make up enough protein. Right. right? So protein is kind of like a a master regulator of of, of uh, you know, having eaten enough of, of whatever it is that you need. Right. To so the 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 uh, if you don't get enough protein, you will overeat in other areas to compensate until you've got enough protein it's like the, the uh, you need this basal quantity of protein and then uh, uh, beyond that um, you might you might need some some carbs and fats in addition like if you if you've mm-hmm. not got enough of those but uh, you, you need to have enough protein before you're going to be like fully satisfied in, in the other areas for the most part like up yeah. to a limit right uh, but uh, uh, and, and you know that's uh, um, something you notice even in um, uh, in different animal models, uh, you know, I think there's some stuff that's shown in humans, um, and you know, you can see it in, in flies, Drosophila. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty universal trait, but perhaps uh, more interestingly still, um, you can break it down even further into the subcomponents of, of protein. So, you know, protein is like you have this general picture of protein, right? And it's like steak or whatever. But uh, when you break it down, you know, it's yeah. amino acids, right? The individual dif- different types of protein. Um, and if you, uh, uh, there's this work in flies, and I think they've also done it in mice, where uh, if you create a diet that has, um, so the amino acids in the diet are proportional to the frequency with which they occur in the genome, right? Mm-hmm. So if you take the, the sequence of all the genes in the genome and you work out how often a given amino acid occurs in the protein, and then right, you can right. create a table with like this, you know, um, I think actually methionine is often one of the more frequent ones. Um, but it varies by organism. Um, so, you know, like the, the most abundant uh, amino acid used um, uh, is then uh, the most abundant one in the food that you eat, right? Right, right, right. Um, so if you take a diet that has that property where it's, you know, proportional to the uh, amount of amino acid, mm-hmm. um, then, uh, and you give that to flies, the flies will prefer that over other diets. They will be more satiated by it um, more quickly, and they will actually have some like health benefits to some degree. Um, May I ask, so they're, they're... Uh, are we talking mm-hmm. about the coding genes? Uh, yes, just coding genes. Okay, so okay, it's just okay. the the exome, not yeah. the whole, not the whole DNA, just the coding that's necessary mm-hmm. for actually building the proteins. Yeah, okay, just okay. the protein coding regions, and okay. also interestingly, uncorrected for um, how much a given uh, protein is transcribed, just the the um, the raw. Um, oh, okay. frequency so, in the genome is enough. So it doesn't matter, like, for example, if some genes are expressed more often the, than the others, it's just uh, the fact that the total amount of the pro- uh, amino acid that's, being pre- that's present, that's coded for in general, that's, that's important. It seems like the, the relative expression is kind of um, like lost in the noise to some degree. Right? Okay. There's, there's, a, there's an, enough of an effect just by matching that you can do it this way. That's interesting. Which That's is interesting. convenient for computing it anyway. You don't have to bother with getting expression data and adjusting for yeah. like relative... You know, <laughs> but yeah, um, and, and that... Uh, um, so the flies, like they lay more eggs. They, uh, I can't remember if they actually live longer, but they also have... Um, uh, uh, like they, they respond um, more to dietary restriction, I think. Uh, so they, they will live huh. longer under, under certain uh, stress conditions. So um, 
like mm. for humans then if if one was going to follow like if we because i mean the human genome is readily available and analyzing what's mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a data already available of like what amino acids are like coded for exon oh yeah, yeah you could easily compute that yeah, yeah so if you could like for example find the food that's actually beneficial for you that gives you enough amino acid for example but is it like what's the frequency that's necessary to consume those proteins is it every day the same amount or is it um well I mean, it, it it's not sort of uh you know no one's really developed a diet as far as i know based on this <laughs> man this is okay uh, this is, i'm gonna put on the recording so that we have a proof to trademark this and or copyright it um we need to yeah. come up with i a did diet. think about it actually like you know the um those like uh fuel like human fuel like where you have like a paste that you're supposed to eat yeah 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 basically <laughs> just like make one of those that's amino acid frequency matched yeah yeah because i mean <laughs> you heard it here first folks yeah exactly so perfectly we can do the analysis here and then just check what foods give you that and we basically come up with a diet that perfectly matches the average let's say human genome levels of amino acid uh, ex uh, expression but you know what yeah, i mean you can you can look up that table as i can't the, i can't remember the site but there's a resource that has the code on usage frequency right, amino right. acid usage frequency okay so it's it's common knowledge <laughs> it's but to be fair like but the thing is right if anybody wants to build up muscle you need more than that but like i it is the reason why i'm saying that is because recently i checked um henry cavill's uh diet an exercise plan okay because he looks <laughs> massive and mm -hmm. he, there's a reason why he looks massive his diet is mm -hmm. like he has two lunches and two after dinner meals that are like mm -hmm. basically protein shakes and for dinner he has a bison steak because it has high level of protein i'm like mm -hmm. just re reading that i felt like i've gained several kilograms just just pure <laughs> pure protein in his it's just crazy mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, 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 when uh, uh, doing things like eating steak for building muscle kind of makes sense, right? Because yeah. it's like it, it's literally muscle. So yeah. you, you you take it in, convert it to muscle, right? Basically. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, uh, uh, I'm a vegetarian, so you know, I have to get my uh, my protein <laughs> from peas the same way <laughs> and, and the like, the same way Akeen's doing here. While I'm enjoying the nice bloody steak, which is just eating a ton of beans in front of me. So hey. Mm -hmm. No. Like okay, an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. And it's um like the effect is also uh, um it it's uh, stoichiometric, right? Mm -hmm. So if you um if you if you take out the 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 most frequent amino acid, like if you, if you mismatch it, then yeah. the efficacy drops, right? So if like if methionine's top ranked and then you you um specifically take out methionine, mm -hmm. then the effect goes away. I mean it makes sense because like if yeah. you would take what about the least frequent amino acid? I mean they have um less uh impact i think i don't know if it, uh, i don't know if anyone's explicitly tried the the um uh, because i thought that i mean some amino acids can be converted to some of the other amino acids so ah yes hmm. i mean the the essential amino acids would presumably be um more critical also mm. um because we can't you know synthesize them true um, true, true. it's a subset of for the audience that there's a subset of the amino acids that that we need to make all of our proteins that we can't synthesize ourselves we have to get them from the yeah. diet and they're the essential amino acids yeah, yeah um others we can make from other stuff that's why for example i i really admire you for like doing the vegetarian or even vegan people to even more vegan people because the amount of extra things that you have to supplement in your diet to to get the necessary amino acids in your diet is very um 
I mean, it's not too bad. Um, um, I mean, certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm a, a lacto-ovo-vegetarian if you want to get technical, so I still eat dairy and, uh-huh. and eggs occasionally. Okay, uh, okay. So I'm kind of cheating in that regard. Right? <laughs> this, 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 the, the, I've not gone full vegan. Just get ready <laughs> that's for it. That's a lot, more, uh, a lot more effort. You just said that, and let's get, we should get ready for the pitchforks in the comments. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, yeah. But I was just going to go back to that, the fact that you have to compensate, um, like if you have to eat more of carbohydrate and fat uh, meals that or um, foods to get the uh, mm-hmm. necessary amino acid level, because obviously every ha- everything has some protein and it's just lower amount. But um, mm. the, the danger of eating too many fatty um, or actually carbohydrates too many carbohydrates and fatty meals is that because your adipocytes in your body will then start to the you know dysregulate and that's why you get obesity mm. and um your body's metabolism is gets really affected like it's crazy because i remember mm. back in my biochemistry lectures when they were talking about the adipocytes and the biochemical pathways in it involved in it and you know, leptin and all those genes that are necessary mm. for correct regulation and it said basically if in your diet um, you consume too many carbohydrate, uh, if, if your diet is too carbohydrate and fat full, uh, rich, eventually the adipocytes, the, the lipid droplets in your adipocytes get too mm. big. And the, the, the bigger they get, the harder for the adipocytes is to regulate themselves. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Is that like you have this feedback system that the moment you have too much of it, your cells just basically like dysregulate themselves like they, they start mm. storing storing more and more and more and they just can't regulate it anymore and they just call it's just cascade basically it's pretty crazy mm. i think when the fat vesicles get too big you yes. eventually get adipocyte proliferation so you end up with more adipocyte cells which means more um like signaling capacity because fat is actually you know uh, quite a substantial um hormonal signaling organ. yes yes uh, and so you, and, and then you end up with more fat cells um, which is actually harder to deal with with fewer, bigger fat cells, but like more smaller fat cells is is uh, or, or more still big fat cells it, it have more secretory capacity, so they have more. Um, uh, the feedback loop gets worse, right? Yes. And then it's harder to go back down because you tend not to lose um, the number of fat cells, right? The 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 fat um, uh, vesicles will shrink within the cells, but the number of cells will frequently remain constant. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's difficult to like get get back from having had too many uh, but fat cells. I just need to say that yeah. like the the vesicle, the sig- signaling on the surface of those fat vesicle uh, vesicles in the um, in the adipocytes is pretty mm. incredible because the fact that um mm. that there's this such a dysregulation and I I don't remember now correctly, but I think it has also something to do with the um, localization of the certain um surface um, cell surface. Um, proteins that like it's 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 just basically yeah i mean there's there's some very complicated stuff going on with like growth factor and insulin signaling that depends which cell type it is that's doing the receiving yeah. of the different so, signals and so on that uh, i can never quite remember exactly how all the feedback loops work no honestly I, no, it's not for my brain anymore to to remember all that yeah. but it's just it's i i feel like mm-hmm. um the fact that you know you have to compensate so much and eventually it's just you know it can cause additional problems. Mm, indeed. Yeah. 
But so it is worth observing that um, fat in recent years has tended to get a bad rap. Um, it just uh, ah, true, because true, true. Um, like it, it's mostly like sort of more sugary carb stuff that yes. actually ends up being converted yes. into the sorts of fats that we store. Yeah. Um, but actually eating fatty stuff, um, especially things that have um, uh, like unusual fats that we uh, uh, need to to have like particular membrane structures um so like stuff that you need for you know like omega um oils and so on that are used in neurons and and uh, certain um like cholesterol like variants and all all that kind of of weird fat structures that are quite difficult to synthesize and we get a lot of from from dietary sources um it's actually you know it's healthy to have enough of those kind of Mm -hmm. fats so like the fats you get from things like nuts and so on um the sort of you know polyunsaturates and all that kind of stuff you know they get used in interesting ways in membranes so having enough of those present is actually quite useful and they don't necessarily contribute as much to you know stored fat as does newly synthesized fat from sugars so you know eating eating uh, you know uh, fats in your diet is not necessarily like directly translating to those fats yeah. being stored it's more sugars yeah um, at least that was the thinking that I- uh, Seem to be prevailing. I mean, this stuff seems to change a lot. all the time. That, that was the. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the, the end conclusion I, I would suspect is basically keep everything in moderation, don't bore, and like you know, don't eat too many sugary things. And that that's I mean that pretty much summarizes everything. Like because. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of kind of funny that you know we know we understand in vast detail in like mechanistic terms how much so much more of this works, and and yet the advice remains more or less the same. Yeah, I know it's pretty crazy, isn't it? Because you would think like because I mean the triglycerides, right? You have basically carbon chains, right? But those are usually sugar chains, whereas the you know the fat is the triglycerol. So uh, it's it's pretty crazy how how misjudged or mis um what's the word uh, uh what are you getting at i'm just trying to say that basically that the fact that you know we had the there's this massive outrage on like of using too many fats uh fat foods and then yet mm-hmm. like you know carbonated drinks are so popular mm-hmm. and like you know in that's for me is crazy like i hadn't had mm-hmm. a carbonated drink in years because just and it's crazy because when neck every time when I taste it like like even take a sip of it recent in recent days because I ha- don't have them regularly it feels to me like I'm as if I was eating sugar like it's it's just not I don't mm. know it yeah I mean the, I mean there are all the like weird sugar substitutes and so on that try to taste sweet but not actually have the same metabolic <laughs> stuff and some of those are they have different flavor right more so, or less tolerable yeah yeah although those the, sweeteners um, also get bad rep because a lot of them like people say oh they're not good for your health there's literally sweeteners hmm. that are literally two amino acids that used are used by our body and hmm. there's nothing wrong with it it's just people like just being mis um misinformed yeah, yeah. I mean, there, I think there, there have been a couple of sweeteners that have had like weird side effects, and that's kind of um, like people have generalized that to the whole class of sweeteners. So it's not, yeah, it's one of those yeah. like the whole lot gets tired with the same brush thing. Hmm. But I mean, the, the other place where it comes up quite a lot is actually in um, so-called fat-free stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The frequently what like if you things like yogurts and so on they make like fat free yogurts or zero fat yogurts they frequently have a lot more sugar in them um, 
to compensate for that, you know, using something like a some kind of hydrogel to get the kind of same texture, but then they sweeten it up to make it more palatable. Um, so, but the it, so in, in many ways, the the sweeter fat-free yogurts are probably worse for you than the full-fat ones. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, yeah, I was going to say it's better to just take the full-fat one than than yeah, with less sugar. Yeah, um, because you know the the fat will be um, in some ways better handled and might actually have some 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 useful features, but the the sugar is just going to get you know turned into uninteresting stored fats <laughs> if it doesn't get burned immediately. True, but yeah. Hmm. I mean, we've had a, a long diversion yes. on that. <laughs> so we, yes, <laughs> we got like three lines in the first chapter. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's let's get to it. So we left on the fact that you know Aquino was trying to um, uh, fulfill himself up with more um, uh, proteins from peas and seeds, and then suddenly, as he was doing that, um, he heard shooting in the and um, and people shouting in the house and. He didn't dare to go to the building. Um, he knew that if he could go in, there was a high chance of him getting hurt. He's decided to wait until all the shouting, gunshots, and fighting stopped. Once it did, Akin moved it uh, moved in slowly, but not quietly. He was making some noise deliberately to prevent people thinking he was sneaking in and could cause any further damage, danger. Um, the first thing he saw was broken dishes. The clean room Tate gave him a, a pineapple in was littered with broken glass and furniture. He needed to be careful walking around because even though he healed faster than the humans, it would still hurt as hell if he stepped on the glass. Um, the second thing he noticed was blood. It was strong enough to frighten the smell of blood. It was strong enough to frighten him. The amount of blood he could, he could smell was good enough to indicate dead people. Um, in the living room, People were lying on the floor in the far corner. He saw Riata. In panic, he ran towards the man. Before he, but before he could reach him, someone caught him and picked him up. Gabe. Um, Akin, in self-defense, bit him, causing Gabe to drop him and shout that he had been poisoned. Um, he honestly, but Gabe is such a wuss. Uh, while Akin scrambled to Riata. Unfortunately, the man was dead. Several gaping wounds done with a machete deep enough for organs to spill out. Um, this is an excerpt for a book. Akin screamed in shock and frustration and grief. When he came to know a man, the man died. His human father was dead without Akin ever knowing him except through Nikanj. Tino was dead. Now Iriarte was dead. His years had been cut off unfinished. Honestly, the boy has not experienced many good things. Like It's only been one year old and he already experienced quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, his, his first... Um year or so before he got kidnapped <laughs> seemed like pretty good but uh, uh yeah uh, after that it's been uh, it's been Down pretty rough yeah <laughs> uh, several deaths witnessed yeah and especially well, for a being that's yeah, like three. really appreciates the life the, the, mm -hmm. then yeah yeah values it and knows what it is and yeah so it's, it's uh yeah, it has an impact on him so the the other point I kind of wanted to bring up in this section mm -hmm. was um, when when Akin sees that that um, Iriate is dead, uh, he has this thought. Uh, so quoting from the book, his human children had died in the war, and his construct children, created from material the Uloi had collected long ago, uh, would never know him, never taste him, and find themselves in him. Uh, so uh, I thought it was interesting that, you know, mm -hmm. that uh, uh, Akin was thinking about this. Uh, in in seeing him dead, right? Thinking about the fact that his, uh, you know, he he 
will have construct children, uh, but they will never know him. Um, but you know, this is an interesting kind of reminder to us that the Oankali are still, you know, they're they're making construct children from the non-cooperators, like from the people who did who don't want to 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 engage with uh, the uh, Oankali. Um, again, like without their knowledge, without their consent, they're just you know they're making children, genetic descendants yeah. of these uh, uh, these people. Yeah, which kind of got me thinking again on the the whole. Um, like the evolutionary perspective on this gene trade thing. Uh, so I mean, from, from an individual perspective, if if you're like taking a gene's eye view, then, you know, getting as many genes into the next generation as the, as possible is, you know, the, the evolutionary goal. Right. Yeah. But uh, this is a, a, like an alien environment in which to achieve that. Right. So this, this is never a scenario where like, the, the the psychology of, of humans has not adapted to an environment in which uh, the best strategy for getting your genes into the future is to do this weird alien thing. <laughs> to be honest, I, I've been thinking about this and like, put yourself like in Onkali perspective, right? You have this ability to read genes and you can actually put, uh, probably splice them. You could mm-hmm. technically develop your own humans at this point like have literally you have enough examples of the variety between the humans you could literally just have a go at you no know, creating your own do you know what i mean yeah i mean sort of generating your own genetic variety by just you know shuffling some stuff around um yeah yeah um i don't know if hmm, i don't know if we're doing anything similar yet in the like attempts to uh de-extinct in the wild certain species there are efforts to like you know return species that have gone extinct in the wild to the wild from from genetic populations that are a bit too small to really do well on their own and i mean so far i think we're just using breeding programs to Mm -hmm. try and you know maximize the the diversity in the population but uh you know it could be a thing that we attempt to do right uh introducing artificial variety um for the purposes of of uh, uh preventing um uh, things like um rare heterozygous diseases yeah yeah i don't know i need to check it maybe there is something out there that someone is trying to do that or at least sequence all the animals and then be able to maybe re i think they are definitely doing the like sequencing them and trying to maximize the diversity thing mm-hmm. so far i think they're only doing it through breeding programs rather than engineering but uh, i wouldn't be surprised if there were some some people working on that possibility uh, but yeah yeah uh, uh, an interesting prospect right um no. Moving on, um, Akin looked around the room, but noticed that even though several people were trying to treat the injured, a lot of people were staring at Gabe and Akin. He's not poisoned, Akin said with disgust. You're the ones who kill people, not me. Oof. Mwah. He doesn't even know how accurate he is when he said that to- towards Gabe. <laughs> Akin saw that Galt was dead, but Damek, the real perpetrator of Dino's, Dino's death, was being treated by Yori. Such irony. Near, da- uh, near Damek lay Tino's father, wounded but still alive, and man was using water to clean his wounds. Akin noticed that colleague behind the wooden bench. He had only a small wound from a bullet in his chest. Um, he must have been hit by the heart. Akin sat beside the man, but no one would uh, come to take care of either of them. At some point, Damek started screaming. It's excerpt from the book. Akin tried not to feel the anguish that came to him recle- reflexively when he saw a human suffering. One part of his mind screamed for an Uloi to save the irreplaceable human, this man who co- whom some Uloi somewhere had made prince of, but whom or no Onkali or Construct 
truly knew. Another part of Akin hoped Damek would suffer and die for what he did. And that's the human part, mm. I guess. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> that's uh, yeah, a little bit of interesting commentary on the uh, uh, like schadenfreude in humans being kind of a, uh, a property that we have that maybe the uh, Owen Kali uh, have in lesser degree. Honestly, I just um, the fact that Damek survives is just probably the worst case scenario in here. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because it it's explicitly called out in in the book that that um, Akeen appreciates the irony yeah. of the fact that Damek is it might be the one who survives all this, uh, which is kind of another little um, you know uh, indicator of his his intelligence. Yeah. Um, it's just... uh, all these little things sort of uh, sprinkled through that, that you know suggest. Suggest that he is pretty smart. So at some point, Tate came over to Akin and lifted him up. Akin, tired, rested his head on her shoulder. But when Tate warned him that if he dares to bite her, she will bounce him off the wall. Wow. Um, Akin told her to put him down. He doesn't want her to hold him if she's uncomfortable doing it. But she said that if she doesn't want to hold him, didn't want to hold him, she wouldn't have. She just wants to make. Uh, she wants them to understand each other. It's just such a weird thing to say, mm. right? It's just like, oh, I'm gonna bounce your fucking head off over the wall if you try to bite me. So obviously, Ken's like, oh, just put me down then, because what's the point? Like, if you're, he's like, oh no, I, I don't mind you. It's just I'm making clear things clear between us. It's just like, I don't know. It's just such a weird conversation in my head. Yeah, I mean, it it, it is. It's interesting because I think it, like Tate definitely seems to. Like she appreciates that he's that he's smart and understands that he's dangerous, so I can kind of see why it makes sense for her to like make the threat, right? It's yes. Like, uh, you know, like don't if you if you make a move that looks like you're gonna uh, you know hurt me, then I will like I'm gonna defend myself, kind of thing. Yeah. So I can see why she's she wants to make that clear, and I can also see why uh, Akeen is like, okay, then um, like just put me down. Just put me down, right? If uh, if that's how you feel, then uh, um, you know we should probably not be uh, this this uh, this close. Yeah. Right? I don't want to be held by you if you're threatening to to bounce me off a wall. Honestly, what? But, a... uh... Honestly, um, mm. she then told Akin about the guns, how they work, how Tino's father Matteo came with his friends to seek revenge, but without guns because the people of Phoenix voted them out. Um, there was enough means of hurting each other, they didn't need additional ways. She then took Akin to the kitchen. Actually, before I continue, did they mention mm -hmm. that, like, um, people from the south uh, had guns and they brought them to the Phoenix? Uh, I mean, they mentioned that people from the south had guns. I don't remember whether they mentioned if they brought them to Phoenix. Because I thought the like the consensus before Tino left Phoenix mm -hmm. was that they didn't want guns in Phoenix. Although I can't remember if. Did they say that changed? I I just don't remember because um, I I it's just something in my mind tells me that um they like the people from South had guns and at some point they came hmm. to Phoenix yeah. and like they, they exchanged or something but maybe they voted not to have guns at that point maybe I misunderstood mm -hmm. or I misremember. And I think that there was definitely a uh, minority faction that was interested in in having firearms in Phoenix yeah. uh, from what it sounded like so maybe they surreptitiously kept a few mm, potentially but, uh, um yeah. but yes uh she then took akin to the kitchen and after some clarification on the manners in the house um in this case it was akin <laughs> saying do you want to eat something no uh no what no please right and it's just like uh, uh it's just 
such a and then she mm. slagged off uh, Lilith for not teaching him proper manners. Akin asked her if she told Matteo about Tino. She of course didn't, but worried that Akin did. But to which Akin told her that he lied, but she shouldn't have told Tino parents anything about Tino before the raiders left. And the chapter ends with Tate wondering what Akin truly is. To which he says, "A baby," he said, "a human onkali construct." Mm. I wish I were something more because the onkali part of me scares people, but it doesn't help me when they try to hurt me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about that because like his intelligence definitely helped him out, and the fact that he can. You know, he has the, the venomous stuff and the perceptual capabilities. All that stuff helps him when, when they try and hurt him. I mean, when he go, when he grows up, he's going to be fast and he's going to be able to mm. go underwater anytime he wants. And um, so, yeah, I... Yeah. Mm. And he has expanded um, uh, regenerative uh, capabilities and also super strength at some point. Mm, mm-hmm. Come on, Akin. Mm-hmm. You're going to be a basically Terminator. <laughs> Yep, yep. His, uh, I think he, may, well, I mean, it's so far it hasn't helped him, like, actually avoid this, but it's helped him survive it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, hmm. And the, um, it's the uh, little section there when, when, um, uh, Tate's, like, correcting his manners mm-hmm. and, and so on. I think that's another little interesting sprinkling because we get this kind of these contradictory signals, right? We got the thing with the irony, you know, he's smart, he's sort of adult in the way that he thinks, and then we've got this little stuff like you know he's being told to you know, mind his p's and q's <laughs> uh, by the uh, uh, by Tate, and it's like uh, this uh, odd contradiction of the the uh, adult intelligence in the child. Body. Yes, I th- I feel like it's it's it really shows that. Having intelligence is one thing, but the wisdom that comes with age is something else, right? Because you can have, you know, mm. the whole vocabulary and then be able to uh, be able to tell, you know, whatever you express your thoughts in any manner of, uh, you, know, you wish, right? But when you have interactions with people and suddenly you're like, oh, I actually didn't know, or like, oh, okay, sorry, I forgot, and stuff like that, you know, like, mm. it, it makes sense. So like, and, and- an abstract understanding of, of a thing yes. will, will help you out, but uh, experience also has like no uh, no real replacement. Yes, right? it helps if you have a good understanding of the thing, but if until you have experience with it, the the abstract understanding is not really sufficient to at least to to practice the thing. In Absolutely, full sense. Absolutely, but yeah, shall we go to my chapter eleven predictions? Yes. Um. So. Because I've read quite a lot of books, and I thought that this is the point where, like, I I, I bet myself that Damek will survive. Like, this is one of those things that, and mentioning earlier that Octavia Butler has this tendency to write pretty dark (laughs) stuff, I thought, yeah, that guy will survive because it's just to show the irony that not always the the good guy wins. Uh, The imperative of dramatic irony. Yes. (laughs) So, no, the one that was responsible Tina's death will survive and I was hoping that Mattel will survive as well but who knows right this this is you know uh, hmm. typical for like oh let's let's just stab people more in the heart like making him the father of Tino <laughs> die as well like I was just like oh please don't but basically the chapter I thought would continue with the aftermath of the fight and of course like in book one, I wrote, Tate is going to be friendly to Akin, but Gabe is going to be a fucking asshole and make the boy's life uh, miserable like he did to Lilith. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that kind of pans out to some degree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
like Gabe seems to warm up a little bit, but, but he's neutral. Like, not, I would not say, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay then. So uh, shall we uh, start? Yeah, start on something? sure, sure. So the chapter starts with the information that both Damek and Mateo lived. Uh, I can try to avoid uh, try to avoid them both by staying with um, the Rinaldis. Tino's mm. mother, Pillar, wanted him uh, because she believed she has a right to him since her own son was dead and took care of Akin, but Akin didn't want to be near Matteo, and Tate knew that. She also wanted the boy for herself. She felt guilty after the shooting and her misjudgment. There were other women to fe- uh, that would feed him and ha- uh, hold him when they could, but uh, before they did that, Akin tried to speak to them um, before they put their hands on him, because one, he didn't want them to baby talk to him, and two, he mm. wanted them to accept for who he truly is. That second point was Tate's idea. And I think it's a pretty mm. good approach because, I mean, like, if you have this intelligence and somebody comes to you and starts baby talk to you, I would literally... I, I think I would shout in frustration at some point. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the... It would be a, a difficult thing. Yeah. I think it's, it's one of those situations I think that um, like people with certain kinds of disability must face quite a yeah. lot, right? Because if... Uh, you know, if if you're perfectly cognitively will it, but with it, but you have some kind of impairment that makes it difficult for you to communicate, then that must be incredibly frustrating because people probably talk to you like, uh, you know, like like uh, like you're not all there, even when it, it like the impediment is just in the communication, yeah. not in the the cognitive side. Um, so it's yeah, uh, it must be a a frustrating problem to have, uh, especially when you encounter new people, right? Because once people get to know you, if you have that kind of you know. Uh, odd mismatch between like the exterior and the uh, the interior then uh, uh, you know people will presume um, but uh, you know once you get to know someone then like that uh, difficulty in communication kind of goes away can you have a, an, an appreciation of what their mind looks like more than uh, the, the, the barriers to it no absolutely absolutely um what was the show oh I can't remember there was this set of comedians, and one of them was uh, has had muscular. Oh, was that was a BBC? Th- was it a BBC Three show that was? Um, oh. Was it? Uh, yeah, it I think had, I saw that. Uh, the fella who had muscular dystrophy, I think. I think so. And yeah, he yeah. couldn't like. Obviously, it was obvious that it was affecting him physically. But holy shit, did he have mm. a dark sense of humor? He was hilarious. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was always like uh, manipulating the fact that people thought he was uh, like of, of, of some power intelligence and screwing them yes. over because of it. Yes, but he was brilliant. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. He was absolutely yeah, brilliant. It was a great show. I, would, I was dying when I watched uh-huh. it. I was like, I watched several episodes of him, and it's just absolutely dying when he was messing around with them. Um, yeah. I just don't remember. Yeah, I need to find funny. the name of the show because it was so good. Yeah, and it had quite. It was a sort of clever pun kind of title, or like a little little double entendre on on a um, particular. Ah. It's okay. I will find it mm. after. I'll put it in the reference. We'll find it and put it in the references. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but back to the chapter. Back yes. to the chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, strangely, Tate reminded Akin of Lilith. Not in their physicality, but mentality. I'm going to quote the book in here because it's pretty important. The fact they both accepted things, adapted to strangeness, thought quickly and turned situation to their advantage, and both at times dangerously angry and upset for no reason. Akin knew that Lilith sometimes hated herself for working with Don Kali, for having children who were not fully human. She loved her children, yet she felt guilt for having them. 
Aki knew, although knew that Tate had no children and did not cooperate Don Kali, so why was she feeling guilty of? He tried to ask Gabe, but the man told him not to worry about it because he wouldn't understand. And I, this is the comment I wrote because I know. Of of course, oh, he wouldn't know, would he, a piece of slime. The fact that you were number one cause of Tate not being friends with Lilith and two, the cause of Akin's father's death. Like, I mean, <laughs> oh, guys, I swear, every time Gabe appears, in the, I, I have a knife opening my pocket and just trying to, wanted to stab him. Um, but to be fair, I understand why <sighs> Tate would be feeling frustrated because, yeah, like, if you cannot have children and the only friend you had... Uh, you betrayed your only friend you had because of the man. Like, it's just, you know, your brain first, not your dick. Come on, guys and girls. Like, it makes sense. Just think of your, use your mind. Then you can use your uh, reproductive system. Horny's <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, never helped that's... anyone. Like, you know, it really never did. <laughs> Well, I mean, presumably they did, otherwise they wouldn't have them, right? Evolutionally <laughs> speaking. <laughs> At least they helped some people reproduce, right? It may not have actually helped them in any more uh, broader sense, but uh, it helped them get kids into the next generation. Well, I mean, yes, except for that particular point. Um, it doesn't really help when you have to make a decision, like, you know, oh, is, my, is the girl who just keeps believing that they're on a spaceship, it might be actually right, and there's aliens, or are we on the pl- on the Earth and they're just messing up with us? Mm, I don't know. But hey, who am I to judge? Yeah, that definitely feels like uh, more <laughs> of a brain-first situation, if at all possible. <laughs> but honestly... But Akin thought that, uh, though thought that even Gabe didn't know the truth, probably he didn't talk to him about this possibly Gabe surprisingly mm. accepted Akin because Tate wanted him to um, he didn't like Akin though because who the hell needs a baby that sounds like a midget I swear that guy is a just piece- <laughs> when Akin went around asking what it meant people start calling him a midget like what just what like I swear like he's a like mm. even though he may be intelligent like the fact that you just go on and talk, call him a midget, like, just, like, I just don't get this. Like, how brain dead do you have to be? Like, he's, yeah, a, he's a thinking bad. young child. Like, the intelligence probably matching, uh, no, sorry, matching, excuse me. That would be, a, that would be offensive to Akin. Surprising those humans <laughs> that are in the Phoenix. And yet they're, like, treating him like, I don't know. I, I swear, no. I, the, the more I read about these humans, I feel like Don Kali are right and just should eradicate the whole planet. <laughs> yeah, so I, I get the feeling Octavia may have been a little bit misanthropic about I, certain aspects of humanity. I honestly feel like Octavia Butler is just, the way, the more I read upon it, the more it just feels like the true feelings of Miss Butler's, like, feelings to the whole humanity. Just what she truly thinks about the... The humans and the people surrounding her, and more and more I read, the more I agree with. Her. <laughs> <laughs> oh mm. dear lord! Like, oh. I mean, it's a, the um, I think it's another one of those kind of situations where the like the the constructs are, are being you know shunned, right? They have this this is this weird contradictory relationship where they like they want the construct children because they don't have any children in their their society, and they want the ones that look most human. But the one even when they've got them, they they still you know pick on their differences. Yeah. It's, it's like what's it, what's, what's the point the, then? Like, like why uh, why do you do this? Like what's the point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. 
the the contradictions are just like really glaring. No, honestly, yeah. which is you know, what the Owen Carly keeps saying. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's just like you you guys are really contradictory when we get, we want to try and fix this. <laughs> But in a yeah. way, I do agree with some things that will appear in the next, um, in, in the end of the chapter, but we'll get to that. Um, mm. But except for that, well, calling him, except for calling him Midget, he didn't have any more troubles. No one seemed to be coming for him. Uh, his new siblings must be born by now and bonding with other people. That caused a lot of distress for Akin, who tried to explain that to Tate, although Tate tried to calm him down, but Akin didn't know how to explain the fact that the Onkali and the construct bonds at the time of birth and after metamorphosis are the strongest, are the most important. At other times, the bonds are like shadows of what they could be. Akin was scared that he won't be able to bond with his sister, and when asked, he almost cried that maybe she won't be his sister because he's not there. Unfortunately, Tate didn't understand mm. it. Yeah, that's, uh, we get an interesting like um, sort of insight there a little bit more into the um, like the sibling bonding process that they have yeah. and the degree to which they um, like they almost need the presence of the other um, uh, like uh, opposite sex sibling in order to develop in, in the appropriate fashion mm-hmm. it's the you know this kind of uh, environmental context clues for how they should develop um, which is a, a common thing in, in biological systems uh, especially in stuff that uh, um, actually undergoes its its early development outside of um the like a controlled environment mm. right so you know things like um you know tadpoles and so on right the they have um it's not like they have um a completely divergent developmental program but the the rate at which they go through it varies depending on the temperature right, right? So they'll express yes. different different enzymes depending on how hot or cold the environment yes. is um but things like plants very much more um context dependent developmental pathways right because they, they're um kind of more um like their their macroscopic morphology right the shape of the final plant is determined very strongly by the environmental yes. cues right where the light is and all the rest of it uh, and it seems like the oncology are almost a bit more uh like this in some ways they have that degree of, of plasticity right they will without the uh appropriate environmental context cues they they their development shifts in in different ways no that's true that's true just thinking about because a lot of reptiles also are dependent on that temperature right on development like i think um crocodiles Mm. that they bury their eggs and then depending on how the temperature like is like one or two degrees difference and it depends on like if it's female Mm -hmm. or male right so oh actually that's a good example yeah um also in um Fish. I'm trying to remember the. I can't remember the species. The, the fish species, but there are there are species of fish mm-hmm. where um, they. Um, I think it's they only become male when there are um, a small enough number of other males. Right. So you end up with like one dominant male, and then all the others are female. But if there's a, a gap, if the male's gone, then uh, there's kind of a competition between some of the other fish, and one of them will then become male. I th- I think we mentioned this in previous uh, episodes, one of the like quite recently, no? Um, I don't remember I, because we had a, such a gap between the last recordings. Then I don't remember, but I think then the pre- just before we took went on the break, I think one of the episodes we talked about the the change of the um, sex in the um, in the fish species. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. See, guys, this is why yeah. we you don't know, you can't trust our memories because, like, honestly, we did something a month <laughs> ago we can't remember it. So no, 
I mean, on a vaguely related note, I uh, I recently read um, uh, Galileo's Middle Finger by Alice uh, um, Alice Drager, mm-hmm. which um, is quite an interesting uh, book on like uh, kind of the um, the social movement around the developing science of like human intersex conditions and and how that uh, uh, how that developed. Uh, it was sort of vaguely related to this kind of you know changing sex okay, stuff okay. and. It, uh, but yeah, so it's a really uh, it's, it's a really pertinent book uh, in in the current uh, current times because it, it's a good exploration of what uh, what uh, good advocacy and uh, uh, um, good science uh, in, in this area have in common. Mm-hmm. Right, and you have to get the the underlying facts right in order to to effectively advocate yes. for the Absolutely. these the, like marginalized populations. So, can you tell me the title and the author again? Galileo's Middle Finger. Uh-huh. By uh, Alice Drager, okay. uh, I think it's D R E G E R. That's fine. I'm sure yeah. we'll find. I will find in rep- mm. references. So, mm-hmm. yeah, worth reading. Very interesting book. Um, so um. let's go back to our book, though. Um, yes. <laughs> so here's an excerpt from a book. Ah, just let me touch it. Let me be one of its presences. She let me recognize it and know it is a sibling still forming. It would be the sibling closest to me, closest to my age. It should be the sibling I grew up with, bond with. The mentioning of Ash's name made Tit remember her and Kaguya. Um, she told Akina about what Kaguya said to her about why females are bigger, to protect children, born and unborn, and what and what the purpose of males uh, was. Uh, when Akina realized she was talking about Nikanj's parent, he asked her if, she, if he could taste her. She easily agreed that Nikanj could taste something he never tasted before. Long story short, she had Huntington's disease. Akin told her that it could taste it and it should never be active, but she should be near Kaguya to keep an eye on it. To be honest, it should have completely removed that gene. It's interesting um, because you mentioned in the uh, here that like you know it's they have the ability to find the repeat expansion uh, just by test. Like so, just to clarify, Huntington's disease is a single defective gene in chromosome four. And the side effects are basically your nerve cells start dying. But the reason why is because there's this one gene called Huntington in it that uh, codes for a protein that has a repeat of CAG in the sequence. And in normal circumstances, you have between 10 to 30 something um, repeats of that CAG, 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 CAG. But if you have a parent, usually father, that can uh, spread that gene if you have more than 35 36 of those repeats and some people have up to 120 then that disease um starts to uh you, you will be have you're almost you're always certain to have the, the the actual symptoms of the disease and what happens is basically the protein that's created it gets cut into pieces and um it's very. It's basically toxic. It's the the accumulation of those um, rogue proteins, amino acids, and basically the nerve cells start to die, and that's what co- basically causes um, the part, you know, the death of the brain because the nerve cells are dying. Hmm. Yeah, you get kind of Alzheimer's-like symptoms and um, like tremors, yeah. uh, loss of motor control stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I think it, it, it onsets normally in kind of the thirty to fifty um, range. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, and th- there's no kind of substantial symptoms prior to that um, and until it's the onset sets in and then it's a degenerative condition that there's no real treatment for. Yeah. Um, 
but it's uh, it's autosomal dominant, which is to say that if you have one uh, parent with it, um, then you have a 50-50 chance of inheriting the condition. Um, and if you had two parents with it, you'd have a guaranteed chance of inheriting it um, because you, know, you only need one copy uh, for it to be... Uh, for it to have this effect. Do we know what's the percentage of chance of Huntington's? Like, what's the percentage of population? Um, oh, it's pretty. It, um, it's pretty low. It's something in. Uh, mm, uh, it was on the Wikipedia page. I just looked it, looked it up uh, uh, a little while ago. <laughs> Sorry, um, I just threw the question at you without like. Uh, four to fifteen in one hundred thousand. Okay, percent. Um, uh, uh, four to five, fifteen people no, no, in hundred thousand. Four to fifteen people in in hundred thousand. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Of European descent. Right. Okay. Might be different in different subpopulations. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And from the onset of symptoms, it's about uh, fifteen to twenty years uh, before you uh, die from the condition. Yeah. So that's yeah, fatal and pretty nasty. Yeah. But I mean, it, I was curious actually when so. Uh, you know, Akeen was able to taste the fact that she had this genetic abnormality, and I was thinking, like, how odd actually is that um, feature? Mm-hmm. Like, how how likely is it that you would end up with uh, like the, the the ability to kind of notice that this is actually a you know an odd um, genetic thing? So, because I mean. The repeat expansion might be something that's you know fairly common in the genome. I don't know, right? It, uh, but actually, it's a pretty unique feature. I think I, I I did a quick search of the human genome for for how for patterns that match the the repeat mm-hmm. expansion, um, and I I found I think it was uh, only one in the reference genome that was thirty two um, repeats with a ten percent mismatch rate. Um, so. Yeah, like it, it would it would stick out uh, if you had a like a large triplet repeat expansion like this. So maybe it's not so unreasonable that he would actually uh, find it. It's interesting that they are capable of sensing that. But it did mention that earlier, the very beginning, when we had Akin's perspective, that he almost could taste the atoms, right? So um, it's if he had already enough understanding of the genome, then maybe he was able to like quickly discern like, oh, there's something weird in this. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's it's just a uh, the the kind of high level perception of that, yeah. right? I mean, he has this like capacity to see in very fine detail, but also to to extract meaning from from that at a very high level, which is uh, uh, you know, an impressive capacity. So, continuing finishing but... off because <laughs> my goodness, this we've had a lot of discussion <laughs> this this chapter. Anyway, mm. the conversation ended then. Tate started packing up things to bring to the village when Akin told her about where Kaguya was back on the ship. He never knew why uh, Kaguya would decide to stay away from her, to Tate's surprise. She was very surprised with the fact that Akin didn't know about them. No, but the walls in low aren't like in the walls here. You can't hear through low walls. Like, sorry, I can't pronounce low walls, as in the village, village law. Be- uh, people seal themselves yeah, no, in yeah. and no one knows what they're saying. Tate realized something and then asked Akin what is law. And when Akin explained that except for the guest house, the walls of in every house uh, really seal everything, Tate realized it was a baby ship. Akin frowned. It sh- it could be someday. There are so many uh, on Earth, though. Maybe law will be one of the males inside of uh, be one of the males inside one of those uh, that becomes ship. But but someday it will leave Earth. 
I kind of didn't answer that, but Tate realized that it what it meant um, that the future construct will go into the space for search for further trade. Um, and mm. for me, this was like a massive Wait. red flag that you know, like the fact that they re- she realized that it was a ship immediately because she was on mm. the ship. And the fact that no, if if no, like it could be potentially mean that the resistance will try to find the trade village and torch them to kill the ships. Hmm. Yeah, that's an, an interesting prospect. Because it, uh, because then, um, continuing on, like as Tate walked away, uh, the chapter was ends with Akin trying to follow her, not being able to keep up. He wasn't sure how she would react if he told her that the ship, Richard. What's the name mm-hmm. of the ship? Yeah, that the. Uh, Oh, <laughs> uh, Chikai, Chikai. Okay. would leave the planet think... uh, the barren that and that once it matures because it will devour most of the biomaterial. The planet will eventually die. Um, so for mm. me, it's like the mo- if he told her that, I feel hundred percent the resistance would try to do anything to torch those places down. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, safe to say they would definitely be uh, very hostile to the ships if they. Uh... Uh, if they knew what they were, but I mean, the other interesting aspect of it is that like there are many of them, and low is male, so even the ships have have a, a sex. Well, the, <laughs> do you not remember um, that the fact that actually the Onkali have a a fourth sort of uh, version, like the fourth sex in a way that that, that they're like. Uh, well, it was more like an. I don't think. I think they had. Um, I can't remember whether or not they were a specific sex, but they were like another morph, yes, right? Yes. They were the the kind of ship dwelling or ship interface. Morph. Yes, basically they were like on the <laughs> surface, sort it. of cleaning and taking care of it. Um, hmm. But basically, they could survive in the pure vacuum, etc., and like survive the cosmic radiation. Hmm. Um, but like, it just feels to me that it makes sort of sense that if it's sort of this type of. Um, also, like the Onkali have another, like this being that's able to devour mm. everything and then become a ship in the future. So, yeah, yeah, everything's an organism and they're all kind of yeah. related. It's, but to uh, be honest, I a lot of horizontal dream. And now, I un- in a way, I understand. Like, okay, I get the trade and I get that you now the Onkali's amazing abilities. I wouldn't mind saying no, uh, saying like saying yes to those. But the fact that they would go and just completely destroy the whole planet—that's not okay with me. Yeah, I mean, it is an interesting uh, approach that they seem to take to um, their civilization, right? They just sort of go around resource stripping planets and turning them into more ships. They don't really like establish an ongoing. But that's no. But hold on a second. But in one of the like when the first book that said there's uh, three tribes within Don Kali, the one that travels mm-hmm. away that doesn't co- contribute to the trade, the one that stays on the planet, and the one that uh, trades and then makes their own ship to fly away. So there's always a, a type of Onkali that stays so. on the planet, so they can't destroy it completely. Well, well, I think they, um, I think they uh, remain there. Uh, longer as it were it's not like they i mean they, they kind of they they stay there for long enough to like take all of the planet's resources and then they still depart right i, I think it's the there's kind of a it's more like uh, when they depart right the first group goes off in the the original ship not having interacted with them much and then the the second group goes off uh in a new ship and the third group um like resource strips the planet and then eventually leaves in another ship i think that was the way that it went but yeah hmm Hmm. Okay, I thought it was that 
I mean, I think it might it might take them a really long time to do it. But, yeah, but yeah. it's it's not okay to like to destroy a whole planet, like the whole ecosystem. It's just like I understand. I mean, like Michael, I hate to break it to you. I know. <laughs> don't, don't. I already am aware of that. But hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we we are probably already yes. doing that. Yes, yes, I know. So. No, but we don't have a, a an interstellar spacecraft as an insurance. No, policy, that's the thing so. that we don't have that backup like the Onkali have. So, huh. hmm. but anyway, the chapter ends basically mm. with uh, eventually Akin reaching the house, but then Tate comes out and picks him up and takes him back into the house while he falls asleep in her arms. That's where the chapter eleven ends. It's it's. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It just feels to me like I mean, yes, I agree. We are destroying our planet, but at the same time, like even if we uh, go beyond the point where like we can't do anything anymore and the global warming really hits in, humans will probably die off. But then the mother nature will recover after you know several hundred thousands or hundreds of years, and you know new species will evolve and stuff like that, right? So, I mean, maybe yeah. I mean, it, it, who knows, right? But uh, I don't necessarily think that there's a, a sort of inherent problem with the idea of um, doing effectively what the Onkali are doing, right? Because I mean, ultimately, the the planet, like the, you know, the sun will expand into a red dwarf, and the planet will get too hot um, to be usefully habitable. So if we've resource stripped it before then and moved on to somewhere else, then fine by yeah, me. but it's gonna happen like several million of years. So it's not like it's gonna happen tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a couple billion years. <laughs> I mean, I know you plan long you know. term, but that's oof, long term planning, man. Like, it's <laughs> like, oh, okay, it's fine. Actually, you know, if in in four million years we're gonna do it it's anyway, like, so know, why eventually? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, to, to do something like uh, you know, strip a whole bunch of plants and make a nice big Dyson sphere or or, or other fun like little project, uh, giant space to make a structure. <laughs> Oh boy, oh boy. Chris Gesagt, I think, was it Chris Gesagt? Uh, Yeah, I think it was them who um, made the video of like, how would we colonize uh, Venus? I think it was Venus or maybe Mercury. Venus, okay. Um, How to like, uh, basically how long it would take and what you could do to actually colonize it. Uh, it's really interesting. Mm. Highly recommend to watch it. It was just like, you know, how to make the most uninhabitable planet in our system to actual like habitable possible like a, a habitat that could support us. Um, hmm. Although I don't, I don't know if we would call it the most uninhabitable. I mean, like the gas giants would be much more difficult if you ask me. <laughs> well, I'm talking about the planet that you can potentially you know land on its surface. Like I mean, yeah, you can land on the surface okay, of the yeah, Jupiter I mean, the rock, but, yeah. on its core, mm-hmm. which is basically a solid sphere. But like obviously the pressure would crush you like you know it was like it obviously yes i agree but like i'm talking about the planets that have within the region of like what earth sizes and what you could do but okay the the inner rocky planets exactly (laughs) 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 i mean to be fair Mm -hmm. i still don't understand like the, the the jupiter like those gas giants right because they do have a solid core right I yeah. So, yeah. So technically, you can land on their surface, but it's just. But yeah, I think it's. I assume there's there must be like a liquid layer and then a gas layer. It's sort of a continuous gradient almost down to 
this because I mean the pressure must eventually like make some some liquid versions of the gases in all likelihood I assume. So yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't know much about the planetary science of the gas giants. It's just yeah. Hold on a second. I'm I need to check this because um, I'm just curious how big is the. Okay. I mean, I'm guessing we don't know. Right. Well. So, um, Jupiter, the interior from Encyclopedia Britannica. So, outside we have a layer of clouds, then there's a gaseous hydrogen layer, then there's a liquid hydrogen layer, then there's a metallic hydrogen layer, and then there's a core. Okay. Wow. So, it, it's ridiculously high pressure. Yes. Because <laughs> if, you, if you're making metallic hydrogen, that's insane. And the metallic hydrogen layer seems like to be the thickest layer, the, the biggest one of them. Hmm. Um, trying to find like the interesting uh, how do you call it so the atmosphere hmm. is 21,000 kilometers and it's mostly molecular hydrogen and helium there is the mantle that's 30,000 to 50,000 kilometers in size which is basically liquid metallic hydrogen and helium and then the core is around 20,000 um, kilometers in diameter there's a dense hard rock yeah, that's just so I know huge. it's just it's it just blows my mind. Like each time when I think about the planets and the scale, it's just like, oh god, please stop! My brain is not capable of imagining this much. <laughs> yeah, difficult to uh, to intuitively uh, grasp that uh, those kind of scales, right? They just don't they don't really fit in the yeah. human brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the ancestral environment did not contain this uh, this <laughs> like this range. Sure. <laughs> we didn't need to have a good handle on the. Uh, uh, on what that would intuitively feel like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess let's go to our chapter 12 predictions because it's time to finish off. Sure. Um, based on what Akin told Tay, this is what I wrote, maybe something starts stirring in the village. Although maybe not yet. So, so I wrote it very vague, but basically in my mind, I um, thought that basically the last part that Akin told to Tay, that the fact that the villagers are like ships, basically. And she re realized mm. that what they are. That something, she will speak to other people and that there's something is going to brew in, like, in fact, of, like, as I mentioned, them trying to maybe at some point attack the trade villages and burn them down because, well, it's a ship that will eventually mm -hmm. devour the planet, so they, they um, maybe don't want to, they, they would not want this to happen, right? So... Yeah, it does feel like a, a little bit of a that piece of knowledge is a, a little bit of a, a Chekhov's gun type um, situation, right? You've got the Tate now knows that the the village is a baby ship. What yes. will happen? So, <laughs> so I don't know. I just felt that maybe because I mean, still we are halfway through the chapter, so still probably not like not yet. But um, to chapter three, which is again, what's the name of it, Richard? Oh, uh, um, <laughs> I need to learn it. Um, and basically, so I guess there's nothing still going to be life of Vakins in the village. Uh, but I feel like in the meantime, there's going to be a like a drama building up and like them trying to think about what how to solve this problem. Hmm. Okay. So probably a bit of a more um, long-term brewing yes, thing. Yes, yes, whole, yes, yes. Uh, so my maybe next chapter, I don't know. I just feel like it's still going to be some sort of maybe because um octavia battle likes to jump over time so maybe some few months pass uh, or a few weeks or months pass and then akin is still in the village and um 
uh, you know, he lives and then like he gets to know people and I don't know. It's like I don't not much isn't happening there, but eventually I guess um, mm-hmm. he he will start like um, maybe you know some time will pass because we know that Octavia Butler likes to jump ahead of time. Uh, when she has nothing to write about and every everyday life doesn't change, so. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. And on that note, then, may everyone, mm-hmm. as Richard doesn't always tell me anything, then thank you very much for listening. <laughs> uh, we are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Blinka. I was Richard Acton. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.